Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Z. I hope you're having a good week, and I also hope that you are making time to do the things that are truly, truly important to you. Today, I am super excited to share with you a very special conversation I had with Chris Brock. Chris lives in UK. He has done a lot of jobs and he has been to a lot of places as well. He has been a professional photographer, a magazine editor, and a journalist. He has worked as a van driver for people with disabilities. He has worked in a bank. He has also worked in a kitchen. Chris has also lived in London, New York, traveled to Indonesia, Hong Kong, Los Angeles, and all over Europe. Currently, Chris is working as an editor and as a writer for technology magazines, which is fascinating. But in addition to that, Chris is super passionate to share conversations about well-being and personal growth. He has a podcast called Conversations on Living, and this is a podcast about taking ownership of life. In this conversation, we chat about how many times in life we do everything right on paper. You get married, you get a career, you have children, you ask for a race at work, you travel, everything looks good on the outside. But in the inside, you may be feeling unhappy, you may be feeling lonely, and you may feel empty. Because no matter how much you are doing things right on the outside, in the inside, there is a stuff that you are not paying attention to. So Chris shares with all of us how he went from looking in within and doing some inner work to change the way in which he was relating to some thoughts about himself, about life, about relationships, how he started practicing mindfulness, how he has built a daily meditation practice, how he handles the fear of being an imposter, the fear of being a failure, the fear of being criticized by others these days and how because of all the inner work that he has done with meditation, with learning to watch his mind, with learning to watch his emotions, he noticed a change on his career, his relationships and his outside world. 
I am so grateful I had a chance to have this conversation with Chris. I think you will get a lot when you listen to it. Keep in mind that the main focus of this conversation is how you can live the life you want to have if you look within, if you look at how you're relating to your thoughts, how you're relating to your emotions, how you're relating to all the stuff that your mind tells you about who you are, and how when you learn to hold your mind lightly, many things change in your life. I would love to hear your reactions to this conversation. You can always go to the website www.thisisdrz.com and send me an email. Okay, without further ado, I leave you with a conversation with Chris and see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you again for making the time to chat with me today. I know it's 8 p.m. right now in UK, so many, many thanks. No, thank you for um, inviting me to talk. Uh, it's normally the other way around because, I, I, you know, you've been a guest on my podcast. So I'm very grateful that you would think that I have enough to offer that you would want a, a conversation. So thank I, you. It's a pleasure. I think you have a lot to offer. I have been listening to your podcast. I have read one of the books you publish. And I'm very appreciative of the work that you have been doing, showing how mental health struggles are part of our day-to-day life. Perhaps because this is the first time that we're chatting in the Plain Itself podcast, you may want to share with the audience where you are and what you're doing these days. So I live kind of in the countryside, uh, just south of London, kind of halfway between the sea and the city. So it's a, it's a nice green place. Um, but I've always been a kind of big town, a big city guy. So I spent my whole life living in towns. I've lived in lived and worked in New York. I've I spent many, many years living in London. And I still work in London. So I go up there every day on the train. And um, that's where kind of my professional life occurs. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, a trained journalist originally. Um, and through that, I've kind of evolved into many things to do with communication and publishing and writing. Um, I, I've spent 10 years as a professional photographer. Um, and these days, I, um, I edit magazines uh, for, for commercial clients. So I do a lot of work in the automotive sector, for example, and that sort of thing, writing about um, new technologies in mobility, which is fascinating. Uh, you know, we're talking about electric vehicles and stuff like that. Um, but I'm also uh, on the side of that. I'm also fascinated by mindfulness. Uh, I'm a I'm a daily meditator. I uh, write about um, mindfulness, about meditation, and this has come from uh, having kind of struggled a little bit myself. So I've been in a position where I've kind of uh, things haven't quite worked out well, and going through a kind of dark night of the soul where my my career didn't work out very well. My confidence was at an all-time low. And uh, I spent about a year and a half driving uh, delivery vans, uh, which is a great job done by many great people. And I, I certainly met some of the most interesting and um, you know decent people that I've met doing that job. But for someone who used to work just not far from the um, the world, you know, the World Trade Center, where those buildings were from the Chrysler building and the Empire State building. I was a bit kind of like, how did I get here? This is not the kind of career path I was kind of looking for. Mm-hmm. And it 
just triggered in me a kind of, I, I was in a dark place. I was very depressed about what was going on in my life. And it triggered in me a certain amount of introspection, if you like. And that opened the door to mindfulness, meditation, and those kind of things. And it was a long process. And then through that, I realized that um, our world, our, our world around us, our state of being very much reflects the the energy that we bring to life. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we look so much for the outside world to give us things to be happy about. But actually, it's when we start to nurture happiness in ourselves that um, the outside world actually kind of changes. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, um, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And certainly when you when you start to work on your own inner inner health, if you like, mm-hmm. then it influences your perspective and your your worldview changes and suddenly your um, your your kind of situation changes. And that was quite a kind of um, a, a real lightning bolt for me. I mean, it happened gradually, but at the same time, there was a kind of realization that I've been doing this inner work and suddenly my circumstances are changing. Not only am I more grateful for life and seeing things differently, but my financial situation in cha- changed, my professional situation changed. And the, the easiest way I can describe it is if you go into the world with a smile on your face, sometimes people smile back. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a kind of metaphor for for this. If you if you work on the way you interact with life, if you work on the way you step up to life, then life kind of comes to meet you with whatever energy you're bringing. Um, you mentioned that you land into meditation because you were going through a tough time. Is it possible to share as much as you feel comfortable? What was the dark time about, and how did you land into meditation? Well, I was I was driving the van for a living, and I I was at the same time I was trying to be this kind of successful freelance photographer, but it, the work just wasn't coming in for me, and I was in a pretty pretty miserable place, and I was being quite unhappy to be around. And I was I was out at the pub on one of the few nights that I wasn't working because we were working shifts and often I'd work till sort of one o'clock in the morning. So I was very tired and uh, I was out with my wife and um, she said to me, every time we come out, I feel like I'm having to cheer you up because, you know, I was really becoming a bit of a drain. Every time we went out, I was I was kind of, you know, complaining about how unfair everything was, how miserable everything was. And then she said that to me and it's like wow, that's, that's really, I don't want to be that person who is someone who has to be constantly cheered up by other people because, you know, you're putting a burden on other people. And I kind of had a, a moment of self-awareness, if you like. My whole life, I'd followed the advice of others. I did, I did what my, my dad said. I, you know, I, I, I tried to get the right grades. I tried to follow this course. I, I wrote my CV the way that everyone said you should write your CV. I had a brilliant LinkedIn profile and just the, op- the opportunities weren't coming to me. And then I'd, I'd done everything on the outside that I thought I was supposed to do. I followed all the advice. And the only thing I hadn't done was look inside. And um, I was in the shower one day and I was having my usual kind of torrent of negative thoughts. You're a loser. You're, you're never going to achieve anything. You've messed up. You've made all these terrible decisions. And I just said, in this moment, I just sort of said to myself, and it's a story I've told many times before, but I just sort of said, I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to listen to these thoughts anymore. And they got quieter. And that was really quite amazing. I was, for a moment, I was like, wow, they just kind of stopped. Ah. And, 
and then I started uh, looking into meditation and I'm not a not a Buddhist particularly but I and some of the Buddhist teachings I find very practical and uh, someone said you know we don't need to live in our thoughts we can we can almost have our mind is like a house and if we open the front door and we open the back door we can allow the thoughts to pass through but we don't have to invite them for dinner mm-hmm. and yeah suddenly it was it was just a real kind of revelation to me that I can I can see what I'm thinking. That was how I kind of eventually got into meditation. I started finding out. I started finding out more about it, and and then eventually I became a. Uh, I'm a qualified meditation teacher now as well. Although I don't I don't teach particularly. It was just amazing, and then I, I started doing it on my my career improved. I I got a, a great new job, and um, I started meditating on the train, and it was it's just a way to have a break a break from all the thinking that we have to do all day long. We've got bills to pay. We've got what's for dinner. We've got, why did I say that thing at that party five years ago? Why am I such an idiot? Have I ticked off my to-do list? Or there's constantly, we're constantly deluged by just all this noise all the time. And just meditation is just like, let's just have five minutes to, to relax. Wow. That's incredible. If I can ask a little bit more, if I will be, if I were next to you in the train and you are meditating, yeah. what will I see you doing? How will that look? The reason why I ask is because there are so many misconceptions about what meditation and mindfulness is out there. And I am a big proponent of building meditation as part of our day-to-day life. Not that's something that I do only when I go to a retreat. Uh, well, I mean, on the train, I just be. I get the very early morning train. I get the first train of the day at, at about 5 42 in the morning and there are a lot of people a lot of people snoozing on the train at that time <laughs> I uh, so I, I would probably look a lot like them I use an app called oak uh, which is just a simple timer and it just it just uh, sounds a bell at um at the beginning and at the end and then every five minutes so I know where I am and how long it's taking mm-hmm. and uh, I have my headphones in because I like to listen to the sound of kind of running water or something like that at the same time mm-hmm. and um yeah I just close my eyes and then when the thoughts pop up I just keep my attention on my breathing and just I kind of recognize that I'm thinking and then bring my attention back to my breathing and sometimes some days it's great some days my mind is too busy but but it's a tool that I use to help me just deal with the kind of harsh harshnesses and the the struggles and the burdens of my daily grind yeah, well, our minds never stop, right? They keep us so busy. And what happens when there is a thought that can be very, very overwhelming? Like when there is yeah. a thought of your to-do list, or you're worried about your kid's health, or you're worried about a project you're working on, and the thought keeps coming back one time after another one. What will you do in those moments when you are in the midst of your meditation practice? Uh, well, I mean, normally it's just... I mean, it's not always effective. It's not like I go into it and I, I suddenly have a blank mind. There's always something uh, cropping up. And it can be affected by how well I've slept, um, you know, what my previous day was like, what the, what my overall circumstances are like. Um, but, you know, when a the, when the thought keeps popping up, it, and if it's the same thought and the same worry, it's normally because I haven't dealt with something. Mm-hmm. I haven't addressed something properly in my in my daily life. So... I'm a, I'm a great keeper of lists and I journal as well. So um, normally if it's not something that I've dealt with or, you know, and often these, these thoughts are kind of practical things. So it'll be a letter I haven't replied to or an email I haven't replied to or, or a conversation I haven't had. So it's just a matter of either 
letting myself off the hook mm-hmm. and just saying, the reason I haven't done this is because it's too difficult and it's unlikely that I am going to do it. So therefore I just need to accept that it's not going to get done. Mm-hmm. Or I need to say, make, I'm going to make this a priority and deal with it because it keeps popping up. It's a recurring thing. You know, and it might be it might be a habit of my own that's bothering me, or it might be that I haven't been to the gym enough, or it might be that I'm worried about someone or something like this. And it just means that I need to address it and I deal with it by addressing it. I love that clarification because many times we think the mindfulness of meditation is about getting rid of the thoughts and have an empty mind, but that's almost impossible given that our minds come up with seven, 8,000 types of thoughts a day, including images, pictures, that's very unlikely. So I love what you're saying that you actually check. Is there something I have to pay attention to here? If a person that doesn't know anything about meditation is listening to this conversation today, how would you explain what meditation is? In maybe one sentence, perhaps one paragraph. I suppose the easiest way of thinking about it is it's like, for me, it's like watching a film as opposed to being in the film. Mm-hmm. So before I started meditating, I would have negative thoughts and I would be in those thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be, you know, the thought would be happening that, you know, you're, you're a failure. You haven't done very well. And why did you, why didn't you just go into something much more corporate when you made, you know, made your career choices, all this kind of stuff. And I'd be there thinking, oh my God, you're right. Why? I am a failure. This is terrible. You know, and I'd be, I'd be in the middle of it all. But when you, when you meditate, you can watch those thoughts and you can start to say, why am I thinking this? It's, it's almost like um, the difference between being angry mm-hmm. and recognizing that you feel angry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, I, I'm angry right now. Okay. What's that telling me? Or I'm angry right now. And that is doing the driving, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the easiest way for me is to say it's the difference between being in a film and watching a film. You know, my mind is a very busy mind, comes with a laundry list of thoughts, a collection of fears, judgments, and I land them into mindfulness through behaviorism. And like you, I have to start practicing day by day. But I noticed that learning the skill of watching your mind for what it does in some ways so liberating. Because you give yourself the permission to watch the thoughts without having to solve them, repair them, or fix them. So I actually think that when we learn to do that, we also have much more energy to do the things that are really important to us. On that note, you mentioned that once you start doing this inner work, you notice that things start shifting for you outside, in your relationships, career, in other areas too. And I'm curious, what happened with those thoughts? I am a loser. I am a failure. Where are they these days? <laughs> well, I mean, they're still there. They're still kind of little niggling voices that sort of whisper in my ear uh, on a regular basis. And they, and they catch me out when I'm, especially when I'm tired, or if I've had a, a kind of indulgent weekend where perhaps I've stayed up too late and had too many drinks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's very much connected to my kind of my state of being. And that's, that's physical, it's, it's spiritual, and it's, it's mental as well. So it's my, this whole mind, body, spirit thing. And our well-being is a, a kind of interweaving of all of those things. It's, you know, it's, it's all very well being working on your mental health. But if you're lo- not looking after your physical health, the two are going to 
kind of work at odds against each other. So you have to kind of try and, and, you know, look after yourself one way or another, get, get the sleep, do the, the inner work, the meditation, the journaling, whatever it is, nourish yourself, eat, eat decent food, drink your water, all those kind of things, because those will help your confidence and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I've read a lot of books. This was the part of the journey I went on. Once I started to realize how effective this kind of inner work was, I started reading up on on all the books, all the self-help books, all the personal development books. And a lot of them talk about state and taking ownership of your state. And uh, just this sense that, you know, sometimes when you wake up in the morning, you do feel, or you can, from my experience, you can feel like, oh, what is the point? What is the point of me trying to make a go of it well, I'm just going to be stuck here forever mm-hmm. and and because of thanks to meditation you can become aware of these thoughts and you can sort of say to yourself right I'm going to deal with these thoughts first thing in the morning I know some people um, will go and do exercise I'll go and um, you know just do some sit-ups or press-ups other people will I, one guy I, I remember he, he called it ecstatic dance mm-hmm. and he will go and lock himself in a dark room first thing in the morning, put on a pair of headphones and just bang out the loudest music he can and just jump around just for three minutes. And by the time you've done all these things, whether it's a cold shower, whether it's, you know, a glass of, you know, really fresh, lovely orange juice, whatever it is that you need to kind of get into your best state and snap into it. By the time you've done those things, those kind of thoughts are out of your head. When you work on this, you end up with building up a toolkit of little things you can do. And, and another one that I use is rain, uh, which is quite a, a well-known practice. But if I'm if I'm in a funk or if I'm feeling bitter or angry about something or, or hard done by, I go through this kind of practice where it's I recognize that I'm feeling like that. I allow it mm-hmm. and then I investigate it. So what is this? Not Not necessarily saying what about the world is unfair, but why am I feeling that the world is unfair? What is this telling me about me and my situation that I can use to tackle this? And then, um, and then I nurture that. I say, it's okay. It's all right to feel like that. So you go through this stage and by the time you get to N anyway, you're kind of a little bit over those emotions. They've kind of, you've taken the edge off them anyway. You might still be feeling a little bit sort of angry about something, but actually you've kind of dealt with them a little bit and that you kind of let them be. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a rich response, Chris, because many times we forget how if we don't nurture our body, it's going to be really hard for our mind to have an effective way to respond and deal with these thoughts. So I love what you're saying. If I can ask a little bit more, I know at the beginning you mentioned how sometimes your mind has been so tough and told you things like, People will judge you negatively. People will criticize you. And I think all of us deal with some form of fear, anxiety, or stress. And we play it safe. And we play it safe by developing thinking patterns. For example, when we are afraid of being misjudged by others, a common thinking pattern is to plan exactly what I am going to say. So I sound eloquent and I don't make any mistake and I don't make a fool of myself. Or I may avoid a situation. So I'm curious for you, um, given all the experience, given all the inner work you have done, how do you handle that fear these days? If your mind tells you, watch out, what is Patricia going to think of you? What will you do? It's an interesting question because that fear is always there. Mm-hmm. And I think if it's not there, then there's a chance that you're, you're playing it too safe. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're not taking enough risks. And I'm, I'm not saying you should go out and just do crazy stuff, but sometimes fear is a healthy response to a challenging situation like public speaking, like um, being, you know, confidently and authentically yourself in a social situation. You know, even sometimes facing the day can be quite frightening. And, you know, sometimes I think part of dealing with it, for me anyway, is recognizing how I'm going to feel once I've dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And by kind of recognizing that when I when I get through this, I'm going to feel very proud of myself for having faced that fear. And I, I have a practice. It's um, I, I like to think a bit about breathing out. So when we when you meditate, one of the basic forms of meditation is just a breathing kind of awareness, mindful meditation. We just follow your breathing, and you become very aware of what your body is doing when you breathe in and when you breathe out. Mm-hmm. And for me, breathing out it it's a kind of physical form of letting go. So when I, when I feel that fear, it's, it's very much like feeling like I'm holding a big breath in and then I let it go. I just breathe out. And there's a kind of release that comes with that. And for me in that, in that moment, the fear almost kind of, it's, a, it's like a liberation. So the fear is kind of gone for that minute. And then I, I take a step forward and I, I kind of pick up the phone and phone the bank and, you know, ask for, whatever I need from the bank or, you know, certainly in the early days, it was a lot of this was tied to money or I kind of set myself the goal or I put on my running shoes and go for that run that I've been in the rain that I've been dreading, or I kind of, you know, send hit reply on the email to my boss, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. just that, that kind of moment of release. Mm -hmm. And also I try to practice um, radical non-judgment, which is a kind of thing that I've, I've kind of been working on developing myself and it's, you know, we, none of us want to be judged, but we seem to be addicted to judging other people. You know, there are there are industries made of it. You know, there's a whole paparazzi, the tabloid press, the gossip magazines. It's all based on judging everyone else. But when we can be a bit less judging of other people, then we can feel a little bit braver because we're much more accepting of someone else. So when someone else is going out there and they're, they're doing that weird thing that we would be afraid to do, rather than judging them and, and sort of rolling our eyes and going, oh God, what are they doing now? You kind of say, well, actually good on them. I'm not going to judge you because I don't want to be judged. You know, when, when we see our, our unfit friend setting a goal of running a marathon or, you know, singing a song or getting up and doing karaoke or, you know, what, asking that person out on a date, whatever it is, don't judge people because that will help you feel better about, you know, taking those actions yourself, being brave and being courageous, whatever it might be, applying for that job, you know, asking someone to marry you, whatever it is. If you are judging other people constantly, it kind of weakens your own ability to make those courageous actions. You're tapping into something very, very important. If I can unpack this a little bit, because I think it happens so quickly. Um, I can be walking in the street and then suddenly my mind may have a judgment thought about my sister or may have a judgment thought about the person walking next to me. I think even though we don't like it, that's what the mind will do because the mind may just know these things, may compare things. I think what, what is key here is that we don't have to engage on those thoughts. Like I can notice that comparison thought, but I can say, I don't want to spend time thinking like that. I don't want to spend time dwelling on the thought right? and I can refocus my attention. I think what you're talking is really stepping back and not engaging on those thoughts because that's what is going to hurt us in the long run. Yeah. So if I can ask a little bit more, 
when you are practicing letting go and you are dealing with this fear about the next thing you have to do or the conversation you have to have and you let it go, how will that look? How do you coach yourself internally? Well, when it when I first started doing this, I was in a I was very and this is a few years ago now when I first started on this journey, I was very uptight. I was kind of resentful that things, you know, I'd been working hard and I hadn't got my rewards, and I was a very uptight person. And I, I started literally, I would mutter under my breath because I I, w- I would get triggered by the smallest thing. It, it could be some something someone said, you know, someone, especially your loved ones, because you're so emotionally attached to their um the things they say and the things they do it might be something they say and it could be completely innocent but i find myself just getting really uptight and so i started muttering just under my breath just like let it go let it go just let it, you know, <laughs> over and over and over again and i would just i'd have to walk away and i would be just like let it go let it go and uh uh but the thing is i did this and you know i would do it week after week after week because i knew that me being angry wasn't the fault of the outside world it was the fault of what was going on in, inside me and I and I knew that I had to kind of work on that and so I would just say let it go let it go and then eventually I started to have to say it less and eventually I had to say it less because it's all about um, neuroplasticity and re- rewiring those kind of neural pathways and you practice something long enough and it becomes you know ingrained in your in your behavior and I became much less easy to trigger so now I, I don't get triggered very easily at all. So you probably wouldn't see anything because things tend to bounce off me. I, I kind of, I have an internal kind of processing unit that takes stuff in, but doesn't necessarily become emotionally attached to those responses. That's and awesome. it's still something I have to work on. While you were talking, I remember, I don't know if you watch this TV show Seinfeld. And oh yeah. There is one episode in which Joel Constanza is trying to practice some form of serenity, the serenity prayer. And when he's getting so triggered, he goes into this place of serenity now, serenity now. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it is common many times at the beginning of learning the practices that we want to have the quick fix. You mentioned that these days you don't get triggered as much. I find that that's extraordinary and also requires a lot of work. I think it's doable. Our brains are coachable and shapeable. But one of the things I encounter many times is that people have this belief that because they have been thinking of a situation in a particular way for so many years, nothing is going to change, that they will always be consumed by the thought. In your experience, Given all the inner work you have done with these thoughts and, you know, in general with meditation, what would you respond to people who have the thought that they, they will say it's impossible? My mind goes ballistic on me. My mind is always criticizing me. I don't know if I can get out of this cycle. I think there has to be a kind of sense of belief that it's worth, mm-hmm. worth pursuing this because from my own experience, I didn't have anywhere else to go. I'd done everything else and it was I was a little bit kind of desperate. It's like, well, it's either... It's either this last ditch attempt to kind of do the inner work or just accept that it's going to, I'm going to be stuck here forever in this kind of miserable and very unhappy existence. And it's just that, that openness. I think it was Carl Jung said that any transformation requires a certain amount of pain. And I think, you know, if you look at all the great meditation teachers, Sharon Salzberg, um, Jack Cornfield, they, they've all been through 
very dark nights of the soul. But we get attached to our suffering because it's familiar and it's comforting. And we kind of believe that that's all there is. Mm-hmm. But we have to kind of have faith that there can be something better. And But until we have that faith, until we have the kind of open-mindedness to give it a shot and to stick with it, then it's never going to change. And it's the same with anything. It's like, it's like if you want to lose weight or you want to get fit or you want to do any of those things, you know, you don't go to the gym once and expect the pounds to fall off. You have to keep going and keep going. And certainly in the beginning, until you start seeing the benefits of this, it's going to feel pretty pretty futile and pretty hard to to kind of keep that faith going especially because it is hard work especially when you know you've got these these thoughts that are actually they feel like they're actively trying to stop you feeling better they're trying to undermine you at any any opportunity you've just got to have the faith and sometimes that comes from from hitting rock bottom and just saying i've got nowhere else to turn now uh, and really that self-awareness to know that okay i'm not you know living in the movie i'm an observer of the movie it makes a huge difference in life when we decide to engage in a behavioral change or any type of change because it's worth it for us. Um, because we reach rock bottom and we need a different door to open. Or also because sometimes we look at the people that we love and we realize, oh my gosh, I want to be the best wife that I can possibly be for my husband. Or I want to be the, the best daughter I can possibly be for my mother. So how did you find what made it worth it for you? I I think the energy you give out gets reflected back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly if you're a drain, like I was, and so you're, you know, like if if you're going out with people being miserable, then your time is going to be miserable, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But if you are doing the best you can to be a a husband, whatever it is, a father, an employee, whatever, whatever it might be best, then you you do get the rewards of that. You do find people want to be around you. You do find people enjoy your company more. And that that is a a reward. And it might not necessarily be the thing that you set out to achieve, but it's sort of a a byproduct. Within acceptance and commitment therapy, one of the biggest um, components of this approach is to tap into what really matters to us, our personal values. And reality is that doing what matters, doing the things that are important to us in different areas of our life, it's reinforced by itself. It just feels good. And when we experience that, I think that's what gives us the momentum to keep going. I am so sorry that we're running out of time. Time goes so fast. (laughs) I have so many questions, such a rich conversation, but I have one more if it's okay to ask. Yeah, of course. If you were to have a cup of coffee or tea, or a scotch with any person you want today, who will that be and why? Oh, that's a good question. I, I generally don't have idols off the top of my head right now. And I'll probably later on after we've finished our conversation, I'll probably think of someone much better. But um, <laughs> Carl Jung, I think, is is a very interesting guy. I, I don't know an awful lot about him, mm-hmm. but he is very much of the kind of school of thought that we have the answers inside us. And we only need to kind of tap into those kind of inner wayfinders, if you like, and they will kind of show us the way to live an authentic life that is aligned with who we are and what we believe in. And I would, I would love to just pick his brains a bit more about that kind of thing. That would be a very, very rich conversation. I can see that. (laughs) 
Chris, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me and for sharing your personal journey and how you shift from how you were living your life to where you are right now. Uh, it's super, super helpful. So many thanks. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for giving up your time to chat as well. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingwithsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing with safe actions. See you soon! <laughs>